We have the privilege today, as I mentioned, to have our missionary Juan Wagenveld with us. He directs Multiplication Network Ministries, which seeks to make more churches and stronger churches all over the world. Some of his partners are here today as well. Um, let's give a warm community church welcome to Dr. Juan Wagenveld. Thank you very much. Good morning. I get to come here maybe once or twice a year to say thank you, but this time the date happened to coincide with our staff conference up in uh, Camp Geneva uh, by the Big Lake, Michigan in uh, Holland, Michigan. And so it happens that as they're on their way back home from Chicago airport, I have part of the Ecuadorian team with me this morning. And so praise the Lord that they can come and share directly a story uh, from Ecuador. So I want to invite our brother Rommel and our brother uh, Beto Morales. One works with the Director of Communication. Beto is our Director of Administration. He manages our global database and specifically for Latin America. And then Rommel is our Director of Communication and now, just in the last month, transferring to work with our Center for Innovation and Technology, getting all our programs online for digital distribution. So welcome. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um, I'll give Rommel the, the, the word first. Well, thank you. Well, I just say you family uh, that I bring with the greetings uh, from the church in Ecuador. Uh, always we, we really feel like, like in family there because it's the presence of God in each one of his uh, churches around the world. Uh, I, I, I love a, a phrase that we use today here. We, we do. We do, yeah? <laughs> when a, when a, a family comes to the faith, eh, all, all of us are committed to keep walking with them, to keep eh, growing in our faith. And I want to say to you that eh, in this year, we could keep walking with, in numbers, my, my English is not too good, <laughs> 25,000 of church planters in Latin America. 25,000 <laughs> of planters. And we know that God is behind all the things, all, all the planters. But I want to say you, we do too. Amen? Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because your prayers, your uh, walking with us, let us uh, see the God's work in each 
parts of Ecuador and Latin America and Colombia and Peru. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, he took up my minutes, so I have like one. No, I just, I just want to talk about, um, we are celebrating planter number 25,000 since 2010. And there's a lot of stories of church planters, but this one really uh, impacted my life. It was a guy that lived in the middle of nowhere in Honduras, Central America. His name was Ruben. Um, his wife, Margarita, was... Um, they have so much passion for church planter, church planting. Um, and I asked him, where, where did he meet the Lord? And he said, a church planter that was from a very close zone came to my house. And I said, well, how close was it? It was five hours walking. And I thought, <laughs> I thought well, that's, that's not close. Not even in a car, you know. Uh, but uh, they, they started to, um, and, and I love the, 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 the program with the kids, uh, the word mentoring. When you mentor someone, uh, they multiply because they see you pour yourself in that person. And that's why we're called multiplication network. We multiply. Uh, we, we try to uh, uh, teach the church planters that when they learn something and a community of faith is born in that place, it has to bless someone else so it can multiply. And he knew about multiplication because he had six kids. Uh, so... Uh, two of them were there, the other ones were working. We were at the time working with a coordinator in Honduras. We prayed for him. And um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we, we can be blessed uh, double or triple. We bless when uh, we pray for missions. We are blessed twice when we give for missions. And we're blessed three times when we do missions. So we can you can decide how many times you want to be blessed, one, two, or three. Uh, but we all have to do it because in Matthew 8, it's a, it's a mandatory. It's not an option. So he even let us choose. Uh, it was a small house, small hut, um, and it had only two rooms, and the six of them were living there. But that didn't stop him of planting a church, going to other places, and to bless other people. So I just wanted to share that story with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Rommel. Thank you, Beto. And thank you, congregation gathered here in Roselawn, for your support of the Multiplication Network of Angela and myself as your missionaries. It is a pleasure to come back and report that just what they were saying is that just last week, we have been counting our metrics since 2010, and they just passed the church planter number 25,000. That's 25,000 congregations. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not here alone. I want to also acknowledge that I'm here with my good friends, Michael and Jane Gutierrez. Would you just wave? And there are representatives for this uh, Eliana area. 
and uh, we're thankful for their work as they work as a liaison and as a connection uh, between Multiplication Network and the congregation. And then, my, last but not least, my beautiful wife, Angela. Sometimes I come alone, today she's here with me, so I'm thankful for that. Let's pray now as we get into the Word so that the Lord will uh, illuminate the Scriptures for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we preach your Word, may, may your words come through me to the congregation. Speak to all of us through your Holy Spirit. Open up our minds. Open up our, our, our hearts to receive that which you want to speak to us today. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've got good news and bad news. A little bit of an echo today. The good news is that I'm preaching on only one verse. <laughs> you guys are already laughing about the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that from that one verse, you could try to preach five different sermons because it is so rich. And the bad news is that my Latin American friends are here, and they say in Latin America that the Holy Spirit only begins to speak at minute 45. <laughs> but don't worry, we'll try to contextualize to where we are. <laughs> the verse for today comes out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And it is so short that it's easy to memorize. Philippians 3.20 is where the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the church in Philippi, says to them, but our citizenship is in heaven, from where we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to talk today about that one sentence that Paul writes the church in Philippi when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Usually when we preach from the Word of God, we'd like to know a little bit about the context, the historical context, and the literary context. The historical context is that the Apostle Paul is preaching the Word of God. You remember that Paul used to be Saul. He used to be the persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He hated those followers of the cross. He hated those people who were saying Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and he was therefore persecuting them. But from persecutor, he had his own transformation experience, and after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his eyes are open to the reality of the gospel, first blinded, and then three days later, someone prays for him, and his, it says in the New Testament, something like scales fell off his eyes, and all of a sudden he can see with a new vision and with new spiritual eyes, what God is calling him to do. And from persecutor, he becomes the number one promoter of the gospel. He goes around all Asia Minor saying, Jesus is Lord, and saying to people, God indeed resurrected Jesus from the dead, and this can transform your life. Repent from your sins. Accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you your sins, but also to conquer death and all its minions and to make all things new. And incredibly, because this is a work of the Holy Spirit, people started to believe this. Couples were transformed. 
Business owners started doing business differently. People who were in government were uh, secretly coming to Jesus. People in different walks of life were accepting this and forming new communities of faith all over Asia Minor. Paul was doing a church planting strategy in good places so that the gospel would spread throughout the region. And he would go around strengthening those churches. Now here is something that when I heard this for the first time, I was amazed. And maybe for some of you, you're hearing it today for the first time. Paul had the Old Testament. He had the scriptures. He knew them quite well as he came from the Jewish tradition and had been well-educated in those things. But he didn't have the New Testament. He starts planting churches based on the historical reality of Jesus Christ, his life, his teachings, his, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And based on that, he goes around saying, Jesus is Lord. And these communities are popping up all over the place. But when these communities are being established, you know there's a saying, where two or three are gathered, eventually there will be conflict. <laughs> I know that doesn't happen here, but in most places around the world, that's how it works. So Paul has to start writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, some letters to the, Ro to the church in Rome to tell them how it should be. We call it Romans. He writes to the church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. He writes to the church in Philippi. We call it Philippians. The New Testament itself is coming forth to us as the inspired word of God from a church planting context. It is as the church goes forth, taking the good news of Jesus, that its communities of faith are being established, and then the New Testament is written so that we would have the Word of God. Mission and the Word go together. Now, that's a little bit of the historical context of the author of the letter, who is the Apostle Paul. Who is he writing to? The literary context and the historical context tells us that there was a small community of faith that he, most scholars agree that he, it was probably his, his favorite church. You're not supposed to have favorites, but it seems that this letter is so full of joy. There's so many verses there that Christians love to this day out of the book of Philippians that it seems like even though he's in prison when he's writing at the end of his life, he's writing with such joy and and, and good memories of his time in the city of Philippi. What do we know about this city? Well, we know that it's in what was then called Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And this city had been founded by the father of Alexander the Great. His name was Philip II, or Philip of Macedon. He founded that city there. He had conquered it, and he gave it his name. And that's why from King Philip, Philippi, and that's where we get the letter of Philippians. But it's really most famous because one of the biggest civil wars that ever happened took place. And in history, there had never been so many men on the battlefield in, during the civil war of the Roman Republic. You see, these two guys, Brutus and Cassius, had killed Julius Caesar, and they took part of the army. 
but there were two other ones that were going to fight against them. So a civil war among the Roman citizenry and among the Roman soldiers was taking place. And Anthony and Octavian defeat the army of Brutus and Cassius, and this big battle happened just outside of the city of Philippi. Octavian, who then becomes the emperor and the, and the new Caesar of the Roman Empire, which would last for over a thousand years, he then gives Philip, the city of Philippi special status because that's where they won the battle. And the, the name of that status is called in history Ius Italicum. Ius Italicum means that this place, even though it's way in Macedonia and in Greece, is as if it were part of the imperial city in Italy, just like the city of Rome. And so the, the people in Philippi were proud because they had Roman citizenship privileges. And this was a source of pride. It's very important for the context of this one verse when we're going to say something about citizenship that you understand that the people at Philippi were proud because the battle had happened there and they had Ius Italicum, which is a little piece of Italy over there in Macedonia. So now, here's your homework, and if there are any here that are the note-taking type, otherwise just make a mental note of it, in your devotionals this week, I would really recommend just take one morning or one evening to read Acts chapter 16. Because to understand anything out of Philippians, you need to know Acts chapter 16 to make sense of it. And so we're going to go there now, and I'm going to tell you the story of three incredible encounters that happened in the city of Philippi. You see, Paul was with a band of brothers going. They were evangelists and missionaries, planting churches all over Asia Minor. And at one point, they tried to go into the province of Asia. And the text says, the Spirit of Jesus did not let them go into that province. Twice it mentions that he tried to make an attempt, but they were impeded by God himself from going in that direction. Maybe some of you have had that experience in your own life where you try something and it seems like God just puts a barrier and is steering you to go in a different direction. That certainly has happened to me. One of the nights where he has a vision when, when he has been impeded from going into the province of Asia, he has a vision. And in that dream, he sees a Macedonian man, what we today call the Macedonian call. And it, the man says, hey, come over to Macedonia and help us. He confers in the morning about his dream with others. It's always good when you have a dream so that you don't think you're going crazy, that you share with your friends to the, so they can tell you, was it that you had too much spaghetti the night before, or is it something that's from the Lord? He shares with the others, and it says in the text that it seemed that the Lord had spoken to them. It was time to cross the Aegean Sea and go from Asia into Europe. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and those who are listening today, the amazing thing here is that from what we know from the book that we love, this is the first church that Paul is going to plant on European soil. 
We have brothers and sisters here today who help plant churches in Colombia and Ecuador and in the highlands of Peru and in Argentina and Panama and Costa Rica. These guys are influencing through that. Now we're going back in the text to when the first church that Paul planted was on European soil. And I want to tell you about the first three people who accept his message. There was no synagogue in Philippi. For that, you needed 10 Jewish families at least, and they did not even have that number. There were just some God-fearers there, and they would meet by a river to pray. No synagogue. And it says in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas and Timothy and others, they go and they find a group of women that are there praying. They are God-fearers. They know nothing about Jesus but they are trying to seek the way of righteousness and of God. Paul preaches then to them the gospel, and one lady, it says that God opened up her heart, and she said yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. She accepts the message that Paul is preaching and says, please, if you believe that I've accepted this, this uh, message of yours, please, you and your friends, come and stay at my household. And her name was Lydia, Lydia of Thyatira. The ironic thing, as some scholars point out, is that Paul goes all the way from Asia, where he had not been permitted to go further in, to come to Europe, and the first convert is an Asian who had transferred and was an immigrant to Europe a very wealthy merchant of purple cloth, cloth that comes from Thyatira. Purple, if you know anything from the ancient days in the first century, is the color of royalty. It's the color of the wealthy. And so this lady was just doing great and probably had a, a big enough household to be able to show the hospitality to these band of missionaries and evangelists. She this immigrant, wealthy, Asian lady is the first one to respond positively to the message of Jesus Christ and says, I accept him as Lord and Savior and is the, going to be the beginning of the church at Philippi. Now, Paul continued preaching with his band of brothers and they're telling people about Jesus and the way of salvation, but there's this slave girl that follows them around saying, hey, this, these people are preaching to you about the God most high. They're preaching you, to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this, and it says very interestingly in the text, Paul got annoyed. I like it that there's, way, there's, there's room for annoyance in the scripture. Even Paul got annoyed. And he turns around at one of those times when she was saying this stuff, and, he, and even though it was a true statement, he turns around and he says to the evil spirit that was in her, I command you to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And the spirit left. Now here's the part you need to know. What was that evil spirit that was in this slave girl? It was a spirit of divination, what today we would call like a fortune teller or a clairvoyant. This was a slave girl that was being used so that people would pay money and she had evil spirits, demonic spirits that allowed her that gift, if you want to call it that, of telling people what would happen to them in their future. And people would pay the owners a lot of money. This girl was used and abused with that evil spirit. She, 
I can't imagine, experienced the freedom that only Jesus Christ can give to someone who is oppressed psychologically, oppressed socially, and oppressed spiritually. She is released from that bondage in the name of Jesus Christ. So here you have a wealthy woman that sells purple cloth, an Asian immigrant who accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior and shows hospitality to the band of brothers. And then you have this slave girl who was a fortune teller who also responds to the gospel and is liberated in the name of Jesus. But here's the tension of the story. Because that evil spirit had departed from her, she no longer could tell the future. And the owners realized that their source of income was gone. You want to tick someone off? Mess with their income. Mess with their source of money to do stuff and buy stuff and get stuff. These guys were so mad that they dragged Paul and Silas. Remember, please read that in Acts chapter 16. They dragged them into the city of Philippi because apparently they had been in the outskirts. They bring him into the town and they take rods and they, they just smack him until they're bleeding. And they hurt him them bad. And they complain to the magistrates. These guys are from somewhere else preaching customs here that we don't believe in. They're trying to change our way of life. Put him in prison. And so that's what they do. The magistrates take Paul and Silas and put them. And it says in the text, not only did they put him in the prison, they put him in the innermost chamber without any trial or anything. It says in the text that Paul and Silas are singing songs. It's about midnight. And even though they're bleeding and in bad shape from having gotten that whipping, they are singing songs of praise to the Lord. And in the New Testament text there, it says, and the others were listening. In the middle of suffering, they are praising God, and the others are listening. God, who has his ways and who is the maker of heaven and earth, sends an earthquake at that time. And it says in the text that the land shook. The doors of the prison were opened. The, the shackles were loosened. And now the prisoners could have escaped. The Roman jailer, the Philippian jailer, he comes out. And, and, and scholars think that it was almost for sure a retired Roman soldier. Because, because of that battle and different things that were happening in terms of the systems of the, of the geography of the day, lots of families that were of, so, uh, Roman, uh, of the Roman army would come and settle in the town of Philippi. So they think it was a, uh, a retired Roman soldier who was now the jailer of the town. He sees that this is happening. The doors are open and the prisoners are going to escape. And there's one thing in Roman society that you cannot accept. You cannot lose honor. To have them escape surely meant his life. And rather than have his honor be lost and have others kill him because of that, he took out his sword, it says in the text, and he was about to commit suicide so as to not lose his honor and do it himself. But Paul and Silas say, Wait! Don't kill yourself. All the prisoners are here. We are here. Do not harm yourself. All of a sudden, seeing hope for his situation, the, the, the Philippian jailer comes running to Paul and to Silas, and he goes down on the ground prostrate, and he says, 
What must I do to be saved? Might there be people around the world that are still asking in their situation, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says to him a very simple message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. It says that the man was accepting the message and was full of joy. The Roman jailer, a law and order type guy, tough. He, he, he just bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes the third convert in this story. So let's review these three encounters one more time. First, you have Lydia of Thyatira, an Asian immigrant, wealthy woman, big household, showing hospitality. She's the first one to accept Jesus. Someone very different from her, a slave girl used and abused with a spirit of divination. She is liberated in the name of Jesus and is the second one to come to Christ. And the third one, a Roman soldier, the, the guy who takes care of the prison, also tough guy, bends the knee and says, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And he and his household were baptized on that very day. Wow! Brothers and sisters, if you forget anything else I say, in the sociology of that time and in the sociology of our day, in the psychology of, of, of humanity, these three people cannot coexist in the same room. They cannot be part of the same church. They cannot be part of the same contrast community that the church is called to be. Only in the power of Jesus Christ can such things happen. Can somebody give a reformed amen? Thank you. That encourages the preacher a little bit. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there is power in the blood of Jesus. He forgives your individual sins, but it has communal implications. He forgives your individual situation and brings you into new life, but it immediately invites you into a new community. And I'd like to land the plane of this message today with three conclusions of what does it mean to have citizenship in heaven? What did it mean for these three? It meant that they could now be part of this new church. And I'm sure there were many more that were, at, when they saw this change, they said, there's something different about this. Let's find out more about this man called Jesus, the Son of God. And so the new church of Philippi is planted. Citizenship is an important thing. I have one of these. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and at the age of one, we went to Costa Rica so that my parents could be a, a Christian Reformed World Missions missionaries. And then from Costa Rica where they learned Spanish, we went to the Patagonia, and I grew up in the Patagonia. Some of you know that I talk a little funny in English and have a little accent, and that's because I grew up in Argentina. I have a good excuse. And, <laughs> When we came from, uh, later from Buenos Aires, the capital of Argentina, we came here, I married with Angela, we lived then seven years in Puerto Rico, planted a church there, and now I travel through Multiplication Network and I've been, had the privilege to be in over 120 countries. But every time I come back to the United States, they let me in and they say, welcome home. Why? Because I have one of these. This is my passport. It's an American passport. It's a document that many people around the world would pay thousands of dollars to have because it has certain rights and privileges and also responsibilities to be a citizen of this country. 
in the same way that we might be proud and find it useful to be an American citizen. And as important as this is, Paul is saying to us today, remember, brothers and sisters, our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's the citizenship of the kingdom of God. And if you preach this message in Peru, you've got to tell Peruvians, Peruvians, your citizenship, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, is the Peruvian citizenship is a secondary citizenship. And as beautiful and important as it is, your first citizenship is that you are a child of the kingdom because you are a child of the king. If you're in China, you have to say the same thing. Wherever somebody bends the knee to Jesus Christ, they immediately have a new citizenship. And here are the three points I'd like to finish with. First, when you have citizenship in heaven, it means three things. First of all, as citizens of heaven, we have a new identity. A new identity. It's not defined by ethnicity or financial status or where you were born. It matters that you were born of the Spirit, and this gives you the new identity in Christ. Some New Testament scholars say that the most important thing that you can look at in the New Testament, besides the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that later, as we come to accept Him as Lord and Savior, we have a new identity in Christ. Just sometime Google it or look it for how many times it appears in the New Testament to be in Christ. This is important. And being in Christ makes you immediately in a counter, puts you into a contrast community that is sometimes countercultural to what you see in the world. Because you're no longer of the world, you are now in the world, but as a citizen of heaven. Number two, as citizens of heaven, we not only have a new identity, we also form part of a new community. Being part of a new community that is defined by a passport of the kingdom of God. It does, it, and, and it means resisting the idolatries that are offered by this world, but being servants of the most true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian practice that can help us as part of this new community is to show hospitality, community, and listening to others listening to others, even crossing national boundaries to hear and understand what is God doing around the world. So we have a new identity, we have a new community, but thirdly, as citizens of heaven, we also have a new vocation. What was the first thing I said? A new what? A new identity. Number two, we're part of a new community. And third, we have a new vocation. And let me just pause here, and then I've got to finish this. As citizens of heaven, we have a new vocation. This is the part that I would really like you to understand more than anything else I've said so far. The risk and the temptation of this passage is to think that this is an invitation to escapism. And it's a different E that we're being invited to. The Christian life and being a citizen of heaven is not permission for escapism. It's a different E, the E of engaging. 
This world belongs to God. If we leave it to the devil, we're giving glory to the devil. The creator of heaven and earth is God himself, and he will not share his glory with anyone. He won't share it with the devil, he won't share it with you, and he won't share it with me. His glory is his glory, and we live to make him famous. We live to serve him. The amazing thing is that the one that has all the glory came to earth in, in the shape of a man and became one of us, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the miracle that we call the miracle of the incarnation. He became one of us, identified out of love with us. And in the same way, when we accept Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit and encouraged and commanded to go into the world in our vocation of reclaiming the world for Christ. Brothers and sisters, your citizenship for heaven does not begin when you die as, oh, now I get to go to heaven. The Christian life, and some of you are going to say, whoa, what, what, what's this guy saying? But this is solid, orthodox, biblical teaching. Scholars agree that the, the life is not about going to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven already now. Do they need more faith, hope, and love in heaven? They've got plenty of faith, hope, and love. Where do we need more faith, hope, and love? Here on earth. That's why you're here. Don't be in a hurry to go to heaven. Be in a hurry for the Lord to come back. You see, we're in a hurry to go up. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came down. And we are to announce that Jesus came down and the king is coming back. We live between the first coming and the second coming. It's a very uncomfortable time to live. Lots of political polarities and a lot of, do we do this, do we do that, should we hear it here? And sometimes we fall into the A, B, A, B that the world offers us and we forget that we're the people of the third way. We're the people that listen to the other and do things that what might be uncomfortable to us for the sake of love. Because God first loved us, we can now love him and love others. And this is an invitation to be part of showing the world this new identity, this new community, a contrast community, and also a new vocation, not to escape the world, but to engage it with faith, hope, and love as we reclaim it for Christ, its rightful owner. Brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we all say, Amen. Amen. God bless you, uh, congregation. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that the time might be short, that you might come soon. We need you. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Thank you for making us citizens of heaven. Thank you that we are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors that represent the interests of one nation to another nation. We are here representing the interests of heaven to earth. And we know that your apostle Paul, the church planter par excellence, taught us that we are ambassadors of Christ. Our homes are embassies of the kingdom. Our businesses are embassies of the kingdom. The sports grounds are embassies of the kingdom. The schools are embassies of the kingdom. Kids Hope USA is an is, is a, uh, ambassador for children. Multiplication Network for church planters. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live into the new identity, the new community, and the new vocation that you have given us as citizens of heaven. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Well, we want to respond through song, but before we do that, let's take a moment to pray over Juan and Angela and their team. Um, so if you would join me in prayer again, and, and you can stay where you're seated, but maybe just extend a hand toward this crowd up here as we pray over them. Lord God, thank you for a powerful message from your word today. Thank you for placing us in this global family and for giving us a new vocation. God, we pray over Juan and Angela. We pray over Beto and Rama. We pray over Michael and all their families, their children, in this calling that you have given them. God, we pray for continued zeal and passion for them. God, we pray for protection over them and their families. We pray for good accountability in their lives. Lord, for a strong connection personally, each of them, with you. God, thank you for the way that you truly have brought multiplication through the Multiplication Network, and we pray that you would keep it up. Um, God, not for their glory, not to put their name on the map, God, but to put your name on the map, God, to set up all these different churches in all kinds of places. Thank you for that number of 25,000 church planters that they have had the privilege of working with. Bless those planters as well, God. Thank you for including us in this awesome global work that you are up to. In Jesus' name, amen.